like facts have no place with an organized religion. Michael Graff. Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. The zip code famous Michael Graff Show. Oh, you have got to be kidding, sir. First you think of an idea that has already been done. And then you give it a title that nobody could possibly like. The Michael Graff Show. Hi, it's a kite, everybody. Goofballs. How would you handle this? We could try ignoring it, sir. I see. Pretend nothing has happened and hope everything turns out all right in the morning. Just a thought, sir. I've considered that. Warning. The following broadcast is presented without the use of talking points, blatant hypocrisy, or Kool-Aid. You know it's bad when this guy has to become the voice of reason. It's the return of the zip code famous Michael Groff Show. What is up? What an unbelievable week. What an unbelievable chain of events. It's brought us back again. Yay. Because I'm I'm a glutton for punishment, it's another edition of the Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show on the air. Thank you so much for checking us out. It is Friday, the 5th of November, 2010. Contact information for the program, mike at kmgx.com. That is our email address. It's mike at kmgx.com. That's also our PayPal address for your most generous monetary contributions to this program. You know what they say, many hands make a heavy workload light. Uh, I have bills to pay and family to feed. Well, not a family. Well... You know what? Anyway, just continuing. Um, what else? Uh, yeah, Michael Graff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. It's M I C H A E L G R O F F Show on AOL Instant Messenger. EFNet IRC, the channel net radio. All of our contact information relevant and germane to this program and more is available at the one, the only, michaelgraff.com. All right. Um, let's see here. What a big, just a, a crazy week that we had. I uh, I have to tell you, it's been unbelievable. But I, I before I get to any of that, before I transition into all of that, because I got a lot of stuff to get into. I got to talk about the election, the post-election stuff. We have big-time election news. Uh, obviously, the the Republicans took over the House, took several seats in the Senate, took six seats in the Senate. But that's not really the big news. And obviously, there's there's now, I believe, 29 governors, 29 Republican governors. Many states' legislatures, state legislatures, have been taken over by Republicans. It is, it is a wave that this country has not seen in 16 years. And really, this surpasses the revolution that took place, the Newt Gingrich Republican revolution that took place in 1994. This is just a monumental wave that has taken over the country, and certainly it's a referendum on what's going on. We're going to break it down. We're going to talk about it. Definitely, the American people had a voice, and they made it very loud and clear. We'll get to that. We also have the Michael Grab Show stupid news file. We got just a, a pile, a mountain, a a cornucopia of stupidity to get into. So we'll um, 
<clears throat> we'll address that. But sometimes, from time to time on this program, we bring on people that, for whatever reason, they like to be gluttons for punishment. I don't know why. I don't know why anybody really wants to be on this show with me, but. So from time to time, people do. We, we've had James on, and as you know, James, he's, uh, he's well, I don't know. I guess he likes radio. I guess he's into broadcasting a little bit. I, I don't know. I, I, my only advice to people that are into broadcasting is, you know, get out of it. Don't bother. It's not worth it. But okay, barring that, so James comes on our show from time to time. Our, uh, our friend, he's 15 years old. And now, because... Uh, we believe in equal timeshare for this program. Uh, everybody, it's uh, Karina. Hi. Hello. Hi. There you are. Was yeah, that was, was that exciting? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, yeah. So uh, she'll be joining us uh, periodically <laughs> on the on the program uh, tonight. Just chiming in randomly, um, much in the way that you know you hear other people. You hear James on the show from time to time. He hasn't been on in several months. I don't know. He's, uh, well, you know, he's 15, so he gets involved in things like, you know, school and chicks and probably, you know, masturbating 12 hours a day. But whatever, you know, the things, well, the things that, you know, 15-year-olds tend to do and, you know, drawing and sleeping and probably... That's only for the boys. Well, right, the boys, because we all know girls are, are pure. They don't do any of that kind of stuff. All right. <laughs> So anyway, uh, that's uh, that's that's uh, so so Karina's here. She's so what's what's your deal? What's uh, what's up? What's been going on? Not much. Just boring school, pretty much. Gotcha. School and homework, and yeah, that's it. <laughs> nice. Uh, she's listened to our. She's listened to this podcast. I guess her parents don't care that she's listened to this podcast since what you were like eight or something. Like. Nine, probably. <laughs> See, this is why I feel old. <laughs> See, if I were a parent and my kids were listening to me, I would probably think there's something wrong with them and they really need to get out of the house or they really need some sort of social life or they need something else to do if they're listening to me. Then again, I'm probably better to listen to than whatever the hell it is that kids do listen to nowadays. I don't even know what, what they... All I know is I turn on these shows. I, I do hear these these different radio shows that are on. You know, there's Love Line, of course, and then there's um, there's some other show that's like that that's aired on some uh, different like Kiss FM kind of stations. There's another show that's kind of like Love Line. It's one of these guys that he only wants people that are 29 years and younger to call in, and they talk about sex or they talk about drugs or they talk about whatever it is that are that's on the mind of teenagers and and early 20 somethings. You know. And, uh, you know, these people call up and they're like, um, okay, uh, hi, uh, me and my girlfriend, uh, we finally, you know, um, had sex the other night. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's one of these guys that sits there and kind of listens to all this. And I, I gotta wonder the kind of guy that gets into that kind of business, the, the kind of guy that does that kind of radio show, because... You know, on one hand, you know, maybe they're just they're they're just being, you know, fun and they're they're giving out advice and they think they're helping out. On the other hand, though, you kind of think that maybe they're they're they are a little bit on the creepy side because here they are listening to teenagers talking about their sex lives. And you kind of wonder wait a minute, wait a minute. How do you how do you even listen to that? 
Well, I I know about every radio show that's on. Basically, when I was uh, when I wait the the last time uh, when I uh, went on my most recent trip where I wasted some time and went to Jacksonville. Um, when I did that uh, at night, uh, I was flipping around through the radio dial, and I heard another show that was just like Loveline. It was sort of a sort of a cheap imitation of Loveline. It was just this one guy that was just taking calls from various people. Hey, man, I'm just here to hang out and and, and chat, dude. You know, he's trying to like blend in. He's trying to make himself sound, you know, hip. You know, you got trouble with your boo. You got trouble with your, uh, you know, your homies all tripping out, and uh, you know. You know, they're all loking out, dog, or whatever the hell they say. Uh, you know, uh, you can give me a... It's like some white guy. He's probably like 45 years old and divorced a couple of times. Uh, hey, man, just call up. If you're if you're a teenager, just call up and just talk to me about your problems, dude. You know, I'm just going to hang out. We'll, we'll smoke a couple of... You know, we'll, we'll smoke a bowl together and we'll just talk about the problems, man. You know, because I know when you're a teenager, you got a lot of problems and... The, the weight of the world's on your shoulder, man. I, I understand what that's all about, you know. So give me a call. So yeah, I, I know all about these kind of radio shows. It sounds like a creep. <laughs> yeah, that's that's that was my sentiments exactly. It was like it sounds like a guy. It, it's a little bit weird. It's it's kind of strange when a guy has. Then again, somebody will now inevitably say to me, "Well, Mike, uh, you have uh, young people on your show from time to time. You know, you you have uh, you have kids on your show." And I'm like, well. Here's the difference. Um, the difference is number one, I have a girlfriend. I'm not a, a, a pedophile. Um, I don't have any kind of criminal record. Um, I'm not sitting here uh, in a in a studio and having random people call in from like Kansas and and you know they talk about and, and I'm not talking to them about lube and about sex and about AIDS and about all this other crap. And again, I don't know. Maybe it's all perfectly innocent and educational and and wonderful and great. And they need somebody to talk to. So why not just call some random dude on the radio? Should be the other thing. I'd be a little bit insulted if I were their parents and you know I. I bumping around the radio dial and I turn on and I, I hear my kid is on the radio talking to some random radio host somewhere in LA about, <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's ignore the parents and go straight to the radio. Right. And they're talking about bumping and grinding on some, well, when my parents were out the other day, um, you know, we, we, I got to tell you, uh, we rattled the walls in here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hear that kind of, thing. like if I were a parent, I'd be like, wow, really? I, I'm going to start installing some surveillance cameras in my house or something. I, I, better, I better keep an eye on my kid. Maybe I ought to be a better parent. I don't know. All right. Nothing I'll ever have to think about, at least not for a while. A few months. All right. Um, should probably take a break before. I, well, you know what? I'll get into a little bit of this stuff. So the Republicans swept the House. They uh, took 65 seats in the House of Representatives. That's sort of the... There's a couple of races that are still sort of up in the air, but that appears to be the count, as, even as of today. 65 seats in the House. That is tremendous. Now, when we were talking the other day on the program, I estimated somewhere between, I was saying somewhere in the 50s. I was being somewhat conservative myself, pardon the pun, and saying that um, conservatives would probably take 50 to 55 seats, somewhere in that general vicinity. Uh, I really thought that anything over 60 was going to be a stretch, and most pundits felt that way. But based on the polls that we were seeing, it was pretty obvious that there was going to be a monumental swing in momentum, and there was. And uh, my favorite part of this entire thing, though, aside from the fact that Nancy Pelosi will no longer be the House Speaker, which I think is great. 
Well, the best part was watching the press conference of Barack Obama on Wednesday. The president had to eat a little bit of crow. He had to come out there and in a uh, midday press conference from the White House, the first press conference the president had given in a little while. He was one of those guys. He was like two press conferences a day when he first took control of the White House. And uh, he, he really cut back. Well, he had to go out and golf. So I could see why I wanted to cut down on those uh, on those press conferences. Those damn things kept getting in the way of his, of his golf game and you know, playing hoops and having Paul McCartney over to the White House. Hard to have a press conference when you're doing all that other stuff. Um, well, he was too busy fixing the economy. That's right. Anyway, so... Wait, he, wait this is fixed? Really? Well, uh, the recession, according to the president, the recession actually ended in July of 2009. Oh, but wait, really? Wait a minute. Yeah, yeah it's fixed. evidence of that? Well, listen, we don't need evidence or facts. We can just say stuff, and that's how it works. That's Well, that's really how the president has ran his White House, so I'm just assuming that that's how it's going to continue. Wait a minute. So all the people that have less jobs now than from 2009 right. are better? Well, the, see, they're not in the recession. The, the thing is that the recession, I guess... Is is over? I mean, all these people that are unemployed. I mean, that it doesn't really exist. Um, we do have some new unemployment numbers, by the way. We have some new. Uh, it's all fake. Yeah, it's a new Department of Labor statistics numbers. So anyway, the president had to eat some crow, and now I found it really interesting. He came out and he said uh, he was now that you know he's hoping that there can be bipartisanism and that uh, Republicans and Democrats would work together in order to get some very. Um, very important, they, they continue the very important agenda that he has already put forth. Well, I thought that was a very, I thought that was really interesting rhetoric because this is the same president that said that uh, a few months ago when, uh, when Democrats had a super majority in Congress, this was the same president said, you know what? We don't need them. That's, he actually said those, we don't need them. If they're not willing to play ball, we don't need them. <laughs> Please don't tell me it's like bipartisan. Like when they tried to attack vitamins. Well, yeah, they, they, they again. This was the well. That was uh, that was John McCain who was going after the vitamin manufacturers uh, because it was very important that we crack down on big vitamins. You know, you've heard of big pharma, you've heard of big oil, big tobacco. No, he was going after big vitamins. I hope that's not the kind of bipartisan we're looking at now. Well, yeah, I, I'm wondering. I'm wondering where we're going. But anyway, the the uh, the president had to eat some crow. He definitely had to uh, take some time and sort of step back and and really, he looked upset. He was clearly disappointed. And look, I, I want to say that this is a referendum on Obama, and that the American people have really set forth an agenda, and that the American people have really uh, they've they've had enough of the Barack Obama agenda and everything like that. And some of that might be true, but I think what the American people, if you had the number one according to polls that took place, exit polls, and according to uh, polls from uh, Gallup and uh, CNN, USA Today polls, the number one factor for people that influenced their vote on Tuesday was, well, no surprise, the economy. The economy, according to uh, the one factor, if you ask people the one factor that determined how they were going to vote in the November 2nd election, the economy was number one with 54%. Everything else was, the, the next highest thing on this list is like 5%. Illegal immigration, uh, education, 
healthcare, blah, blah, blah. Everything else is secondary to the economy. That's what affects people the most. How much money is in their pocket, how they're going to pay for their food, how they're going to make their house payment, how they are going to get by in their daily lives. That is what is most important to the American people. Not any other issue. Every other issue becomes secondary when there's an economic problem as we have had. And since since, uh, Democrats have controlled the House since 2006... Uh, the, the deficit has increased by $5 trillion. The American people have seen unemployment go from 4.5% in 2006 to now nearly 10%. It's actually holding at 9.6% as of right now. So, wait, wait, the, the recession's over, though. Well, right. Uh, yeah, I mean, given that the recession's actually been over for a year and a half, I mean, none of this should really matter to the American people. But somehow, the American people weren't buying that load of crap, I guess. <laughs> This is the same economy that they said the recession is over for, right? Right. Well, this was We're the talking s- about the same thing. Right. And this was the same economy that the president said the and the vice president also said that the unemployment rate would never go above 8%. They said, that, oh, no, it's not oh, going right. to happen. Right. Yeah. yeah that, that worked out well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you can see how well that that all turned out. Uh, the president definitely had to eat some crow on Wednesday. I love that. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, uh, uh, she has been very upset ever since. And here's sort of an interesting divide now that is emerging in the Democrat Party. Now, Nancy Pelosi wants to be the House Minority Leader since she can no longer be Speaker of the House because her party no longer will control the House in in, uh, November or in uh, January. Uh, She wants to be the House Minority Leader, but many other Democrats say they don't want her as the minority leader. And the reason they don't is because they feel that because of her and because of the divisive nature of the House and how it's been, that's what pissed off the American people. And that's what drove the American people to vote heavily for the Republicans. Uh, So now there is a big divide, a big split amongst the uh, Democrats as to who should be the minority leader. Of course, Nancy Pelosi, she plans to lobby. She wants to sort of campaign for uh, to become the uh, the minority leader isn't that just gonna piss them off even more well what happens is uh, see here's here's what happens the house members decide on who is their leader um for example uh house republicans will vote on who becomes the, the speaker of the house by all accounts everybody believes that it will be john boehner who is the current house minority leader for the republicans uh, they believe that he'll, and he's sort of the, he's the number one kind of Republican guy in the House. He's the guy that everybody goes to. Everybody makes fun of him, but, you know, he's the guy that, and he gave a great speech on Tuesday night. Um, I really was kind of expecting him to come out and, and sort of say that, you know, the American people have spoken and uh, nanny, nanny, boo, boo. And basically, I thought he was really going to come out and sort of rub it in the Democrats' face, but actually... He said that now is not the time for celebration, not when 10% of the American people are unemployed, not when people don't know when and where their next paycheck is going to come from, not when we have the current spending and fiscal crisis that we have. These are the kinds of things that he said, and he said all the right things. Now, what he does, that's a different story. And this is my, my main point, and the point that I've been making for months on this issue is that this isn't necessarily just a referendum by the American people on the Democrats. This is the American people finally saying, we've had enough. We want to see what the Republicans are going to do. We want to see, because we, we've gone with the hope and change. We tried that. It, it's not working out for us. So Republicans, this is your shot. This is your chance. 
but don't screw it up because as we've shown, uh, we can just as easily flip the switch and go back the other direction. So this is the American people uh, get it, you know, giving the Republicans their opportunity. And really, it's not so much a referendum on, on Obama. It's not really so much people supporting Republicans. It's just people are upset with the Democrats. I mean, that's the bottom line here. So while uh, the Tea Party movement was certainly instrumental, and while there was certainly uh, some, some things that came out of that, you know, most of this is just the American people are fed up with the Democrats. They're just fed up with the direction that, that they perceive the country to be going in, right or wrong. And again, as I've said before, Republicans spent like crazy when uh, they had control, particularly from 2001 through 2006, the spending was out of control. Then the Democrats came in and they did the same thing. So what leads me to believe that the Republicans are going to be fiscally responsible? I don't know. Let's hope they are. I want to see, see what their first budget looks like. They say they're going to make some substantial cuts. We'll see. Maybe they won't shove things down our throats like the Democrats did. Well, again, the, the health care plan, that was one thing. That was one part of the agenda, these bailouts. Although we have another form of a bailout going on right now. And uh, many of you haven't heard about this, but this is, if you want to talk about things that are going to affect this economy and you want to talk about things that are really going to make an impact on you, what I'm about to tell you, and again, many of you, this is not the front page kind of news uh, in your local newspaper or even on CNN or Fox News or anything, but this is big. So the Fed, good old billion bucks Ben Bernanke, uh, ben Bernanke uh, has said that he's going to start the printing presses a-rolling again. And the United States is going to print out between 600 to $900 billion in new money. We're going to just start opening up the printing presses and printing off a whole bunch more money. And, uh, Great. Yeah, and Make our money even more useless. Exactly. We're going to, in, in, in essence, what we're going to do is... Uh, we're going to infuse money into our economy, sort of in an effort to inflate it slightly, thereby, and this is the, the thinking of Ben Bernanke, is thereby what we can do is, is we'll, there'll be more money circulating in the economy and therefore it will add, uh, I don't know, they use these buzzwords like uh, liquidity and uh, look, you can say whatever you want quantitative enhancement or whatever. You can you can call this whatever you want. What it is, is it's just printing off more money and putting it into circulation, and that is inflation. And as it is, if you look at the price of oil today, it went up again. Uh, you look at uh, the dollar and how it's performing against other major currencies, like even the Canadian dollar, the euro, the yen. You look at how it's performing against other currencies, and it is again on the decline. For a little while, the dollar was gaining strength, of course, that was a function of the fact that nobody had any money after the stock market went in the tank. Uh, everybody, I mean, uh, so uh, pe less people had money. And when less people have money, that means less money is in circulation, which means the value of a dollar increases. If there is less of something on a market, that means it's more valuable. But when you all of a sudden fire up your printing press and you just arbitrarily start printing off more cash... 
makes the dollar less valuable because there's more of it in circulation. As is, China's not happy about this. Germany's not happy about this. Japan's not happy about it. Brazil's not happy about it. Why? Because they all own dollars. They all have these treasury bonds. They all have this investment in the United States. So they're all going to meet to talk about this. China's central bank chief said that, uh, talking about the, the Fed's attempt to, uh, to spur growth, by pumping $600 billion into the economy, they said, uh, he says that this could really hurt the financial system even further. This could not only stunt growth, this could further the recession, which, of course, doesn't exist anymore. Can't further something that doesn't exist. Sure. Uh, They say that what will happen is this will inevitably lower interest rates, and uh, they call this quantitative easing. That's the big thing. QE. That's the big buzzword. Whenever you hear the words quantitative easing, that means they're going to start printing off more money and infusing it into the market. But the problem is, is again, yeah, it means that there's lower interest rates, which means that banks aren't going to make money when they loan money out. I mean, as it is right now, as it is right. I have one question. Is our dollar useless yet? Uh, It's getting there. Uh, Very soon will be about where the peso is at. The United the the U.S. dollar will be about the value of a drachma or rupees. Are you going to start needing gold as currency again? Well, it's very interesting that you mention that because, you know, with the recent um, sort of revolution of the Republicans, you know who is set to take over on the subcommittee that deals with such matters, with deals with the Fed, the Fed Reserve. Ron Paul may be taking over that subcommittee in the House of Representatives. Um, And he says that if he becomes, if he gets into that subcommittee, if he's, Ron Paul is, he's a very interesting character. Now, I've had some negative things to say about Ron Paul over the years on this show, only because there is a few things that are a little bit nutty about the guy, but I I do like the guy. He's, when it comes to economics, the guy is brilliant. And some time ago, Ron Paul wanted to start an investigation. He wanted to audit the Federal Reserve, much in the same way that the IRS would audit you if they felt that there was a discrepancy in your tax return. So Ron Paul wanted to do the same thing to the Federal Reserve and account dollar for dollar where all of the money that the Fed issues, where it all goes to. And he didn't care how long it would take to conduct this audit, but he wanted to make sure that everything was on the up and up, which, of course, he suspected that it wasn't and that it still isn't. So now Ron Paul said on Thursday that he's going to push to examine the Federal Reserve monetary policy again. Quote, I think they're way too independent. They just shouldn't have that kind of power. Up until recently, it's been modest, but now it's totally out of control. And he's right, you know, the Federal Reserve... Is, is more powerful. Ben Bernanke is more powerful than Ron Paul. Ben Bernanke is almost, in a sense, more powerful than the President of the United States. When, when Alan Greenspan was the, the chair of the, of the Fed, uh, he was more powerful than President Clinton. He was. If the guy made a wrong statement, the market could go down 500 points in a day. If he made any kind of illusion that there could be some uh, rough uh, times ahead economically or if he gave any kind of indication that they were going to raise uh, interest rates or lower interest rates, 
it could send the Fed into a tailspin based on what he said. So he had to be very careful. He was a very powerful person. Imagine, this is a guy that's the head of the Federal Reserve. That's, that's where all the money is printed and that's where all the money is controlled. Sure, the House controls the money in the sense that the House determines where the money goes. But the Federal Reserve determines the interest rates on the money. The Federal Reserve determines how much money is infused into the economy. Very, very big stuff. So he's, um, he's on, the, on the subcommittee, the, domestic monetar- the uh, subcommittee of domestic monetary policy, and he's likely to head the panel that, uh, again, when Republicans take control of the House, he's going uh, to be in charge of that. Now, there is one thing that I, it's a little bit conspiratorialist on my part, but I have a feeling that... Um, Ron Paul will never be head of that committee. Somehow, some way, it just won't happen because maybe other Republicans try to stop him. Democrats certainly don't want that. Obama doesn't want nobody. There's a lot of people on both sides of the aisle that don't want this guy snooping around and issuing an audit and going after uh, dollar for dollar what the Federal Reserve is up to. So again, maybe a little conspiratorialist, maybe a little black helicopter on my part, but I, I have to tell you... Um, I have I have a reason to suspect that uh, he may not. It may not happen. I could see that. So uh, that's something to keep an eye on uh, as we move forward. But I will say this. I'm very excited. I, you know, Ron Paul, when it comes to economics, the guy's brilliant. When it comes to, uh, he knows what departments in, in our government need uh, need budget cuts as well. And I'm sure he's going to certainly have his say when the House drafts their next fiscal budget for 2011. And uh, he will, um, I, that's a guy that I would, I would love in control of the checkbook of this country. I have no problem saying that. I don't know if I want him to be the president of the United States, but I will tell you this, I have no problem with him in control of our money. Certainly, he's a lot more responsible than anybody that's up there right now. He's certainly better than uh, Ben Bernanke. In fact, well, Ron, I'd make Ron Paul the head of the Federal Reserve, except he doesn't think that we should have a Federal Reserve. He believes that the United States should go back to the gold standard. And he's right. He believes that the United States, for every dollar we have in circulation, we should be able to back it up with gold. I don't know. That, that doesn't seem at all loony to me. That seems pretty normal. That seems rational. That's what we used to have in this country. And by the way, that's when the dollar was king. That's when the U.S. dollar was actually, well, it was kind of worth something. Now, not so much. All right. So uh, that's, uh, that's some of the fallout. Uh, obviously, uh, some of the big uh, races that went on, Sharon Angle lost to Harry Reid. So Harry Reid will still be the Senate Majority Leader. Um. Because the Senate did, is still in control uh, by the Democrats, I believe by a margin of 53 to 46. And Lieberman is sort of the in the middle there. But um, so that's, that's where we're at with the Senate. Uh, some of the other races, yeah, that Christine O'Donnell, that nut job, she lost. Uh, but other uh, big Republican wins, Marco Rubio in Florida, he won. Um, uh, Scott, uh, the governor of Florida, that he won. Uh, who else won? What's another big victory? Just looking around. 
Well, here in the state of Arizona, John McCain easily defeated uh, his challenger. But, you know, John McCain is always going to be, you know, as long as he wants to still be the senator from Arizona, even though everybody complains about him. People say, I'm never voting for him again. And I'm talking about Republicans say this, too. There's there's conservatives that call up and say he's not a conservative. I don't know why people would vote for him. And I'm one of those guys, by the way. He is not a conservative. And yet, every time when we go to the polls, people still vote for the guy. I didn't. Interesting. But I voted for David Nolan, the libertarian candidate. But you saw where that went. I think my brother even voted for the libertarian guy, which totally shocked me. My brother's a big-time liberal guy. I figured for sure he would have voted for uh, for the uh, for the Democrat there, but I think he voted for the Libertarian. Unbelievable. Um, oh, and uh, there's another big piece of news, <clears throat> and um, I had a dinner bet with Hillary about this, and I, I might I might I might actually wind up owing her dinner. Here, check this out. Here in the state of Arizona. <clears throat> we have uh, we had Proposition 203, which would um, initiate a system to have medical marijuana use legal in this state. Medical marijuana, which, look, uh, we all know that medical marijuana is BS. I mean, it doesn't really exist. There's no such thing as medical-grade marijuana, but whatever. Um, I said there's no way the people of this state pass it. Hillary said that uh, they would. And uh, so we had a... We had a uh, we had a dinner bet on that. Well, um, on Tuesday night, it kind of looked like it may have failed, but there are still over 280,000 ballots that haven't been counted. There's, uh, there's about 83,000 provisional ballots and about 200,000 absentee ballots that have not been counted. And because it was such a close issue, they're going to go through and they're going to count all the absentee ballots they're going to go through and count all of the uh, all of the provisionals, and once they do that, then they're going to make a determination. But that that issue is not necessarily totally dead yet. In California, though, <clears throat> Prop 19, the complete legalization of marijuana, not just medical marijuana, which they already have, but the legalization of marijuana in California, Prop 19, that failed. Um, I was very disappointed in the people of California about that. <laughs> what? What? I was. I was disappointed. Um, it, it's an issue that I really don't understand um, how it is that marijuana is still illegal uh, in this country. I, I've never understood that. Doesn't make any sense. Uh, it was finally on the ballot. The people that were behind it, there was some big money behind uh, the push for Prop 19. I thought for sure, especially in one of the most liberal states in the country, being California, I thought for sure that it would pass. I... I I would have had a dinner bet on that. I would have said, absolutely, the people of California will pass it. They passed medical marijuana overwhelmingly. So why wouldn't they pass the legalization of marijuana? I don't know. A bunch of people wait, must... Wait, wait, isn't Isn't this the same state that, like, sued people for trying to go green on their lawn? <laughs> well, look, uh, California has a lot of issues. Uh, they... They certainly have a very weird uh, sense of morality and a very weird compass. But the one thing that California would have gotten right, and believe me, it'd be very hard for me to ever live in California, only because, the, number one, the cost of living is so high, the taxes are so high. And it's, 
it's weird. It's the most liberal state. And uh, coincidentally, or maybe not so coincidentally, it's the state that has the most debt. It is the most debt-riddled state in the United States. One of the most conservative states in the country, by the way, North Dakota, is, uh, is a state with a, with a surplus. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Who would have saw that coming? I know. It's kind of weird. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to equate the two. I'm not, necess- I'm, not, I'm not making a cause and effect. I'm just saying. I'm just throwing it out there. You know. But I figured for sure the people of California would legalize marijuana. Now, obviously there would have been a, a big deal had that been done. Because... While it would have been legal in the state of California to smoke marijuana, it would have still been a violation of federal law, which would have brought about a very interesting conflict, which would have uh, eventually arisen when somebody gets arrested by a, by a federal, uh, by, for violating federal law, even though they're not violating state law. And there would have been lawsuits that would have taken place, but ultimately it would have come back to the Constitution. And it would have come back to the federal law supersedes state law. And then there would have been a debate between that and then the 10th Amendment. So I would have loved, I would have loved to have seen how that would have played out from a legal standpoint. I would have loved to have seen the constitutional challenges that would have taken place, a constitutional law attorney having to argue that one side or the other. Uh, All the various court systems that would have had this, I would have loved to have heard the argument, but as it is, we're never going to hear that. I mean, we'll still hear it eventually with the medical marijuana thing, but we're... We've never. I would have loved to have seen what would have happened in this country had medical marijuana or had a marijuana use outright had it outright passed in the state of California, but it did not, and it lost by a decent margin too. It wasn't like it was you know fifty votes that separate. We're talking uh, what was it ten or twelve points or something like it was a, a big amount. Um, I don't have it right in front of me, but I just saw. When I saw it the other night, it was a, I was half asleep when I saw the results, but it stood out because I, I just remember going, wow, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good margin, I was especially considering that I thought it was going to win. All right, uh, some other post-election stuff. We still have to get to that. Um, we, we have lots of things still to uh, get to here. Um, let's see. It's a few other things I wanted to talk about here. Sort of the post-election stuff. Oh, my God. All right, the Michael Graff Show stupid news file, it's overflowing. There's just way, way too much happening there. <laughs> you know how we do it. Mike at KMGX. Yeah. Mike at KMGX.com, that's our email address. It is Mike at KMGX.com. Oh, and I have to talk about this. Uh, it's the one-year anniversary of the attack at Fort Hood. The shooting at Fort Hood where uh, uh, Nidal Hassan decided that he was just going to go nuts and start shooting everybody at Fort Hood. And he was one of these, uh, he was one of these guys, one of these Sharia law sort of uh, Islamic type dudes. And it ties in with the election because in Oklahoma, they had their question 755, which was on their ballot, and that was uh, dealt with uh, the issue of Sharia law. Can the courts deal with Sharia law? Can courts in the United States deal with Sharia law? Which, of course, I just think is outrageous that it would even be brought up in this country in the first place. We have to talk about that. 
because uh, if if everybody turns out to be as nutty as this Nidal Hassan and uh, they want Sharia law practiced, I'll tell you what, uh, that could be very dangerous. And the state of Oklahoma could set a very dangerous precedent um, if, uh, if, well, what could happen is, is somebody will, well, what's going to happen is an Islamic uh, guy, some, uh, some Islamic dude here is going to sue about this issue. And uh, he wants the courts to be able to try uh, people with using Sharia law, Islamic folks. Well, I mean, it's completely uh, impossible based on merit alone. I don't see how that could ever be passed. Anyway, we got to take a break. We'll get into that and a whole lot more. Mike at uh, KMGX.com, the email address. That's also our PayPal address. It's Mike at KMGX.com. Michael Graf Show, AOL Instant Messenger. And Karina's here too. So she's she's hanging out. Or not. What? <laughs> uh, there you are. Yeah, I'm here. Okay. And, I'm uh, still trying to figure out what Sharia law is. A Sharia law. Well, I'll talk about it uh, coming up in just a few minutes, and uh, I'll get you all uh, clear on what Sharia law is. See, in uh, Sharia law, which is what they practice in Saudi Arabia and over in the Middle East, for example, um, women um, are basically third-class citizens, among other things. I mean, you have to wear a burqa, you have to be covered up, you can't go out uh, anywhere uh, without the escort of a man. And there's a lot of other aspects to Sharia law as well that we have to talk about. All right, it's the Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show, and we'll be back. You're listening to The Michael Graff Show. Zip code famous Michael Grob show. Mike at KMGX.com is the email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com. AOL Instant Messenger, the screen name Michael Grob show. Anything else Michael Grob related can be found at the one, the only MichaelGrob.com. One day, I swear to the Lord Jeebus, a real website will happen right in front of your freaking face. At that address, michaelgraff.com. For now, though, it's okay. It's suitable. It's got our information, and, you know, it's uh, we post all of our new shows and everything like that. Subscribe to our podcast. But why would I say that? This is already the podcast. Assuming that you're listening to this, you've probably already subscribed. But if you haven't, and somehow you found this through some miracle of Al Gore's interwebs, I would suggest that you subscribe there. My voice is sounding wonderful, and I still have two segments to go. I'm going to hand this podcast over to Karina. She'll do the rest of it. 
You want to? You want to? Oh, just, gee, you wanna, thanks. You, you want to host a podcast? Has it always been your your goal? Uh, I don't know. I don't have any show prep. Well, just- neither do I. Who who needs show prep? I mean, come on. Show preps for weenies. You know, only only guys that make millions of dollars in this business do show prep. I mean, that's why that's why you know I get rejected by Jacksonville, Florida, is because I, I don't. Never mind these mountains of papers and never mind all the stuff I have in here. Never mind any of that. Uh, you know, it's it's all irrelevant. All right. Anyway, uh, let, let me let me just uh, chronicle. This is just another edition of the program, another fine segment of Places I Don't Want to Live. We should have like, uh, I don't know, we should have a, some, some music for that. I don't even know what kind of music we'd have for that such a segment. <laughs> But this is just another example of places I have no intention of ever living. Now, you already know that I don't want to live in New York City. Uh, I, I would never, I mean, unless you backed up the Brinks truck and dropped a ton of money in my lap and said, here, we're going to, Mike, we're going to pay you $20 million so that you can do your radio show from New York City. I'd say, all right, you know what? $20 million, $20 million, maybe I'll live in Long Island, you know? Uh, but all right, I guess. That would be about the only way. But I don't even think $20 million could lure me there anymore, as if I didn't need another reason. Uh, Chart this one. Here we go. Reason number 9,476, why I have no intention of living in New York City. It is, uh, well, apparently their water supply has lead in it. (laughs) Yay for lead. The Department of Environmental Quality said Thursday that before you drink what's coming out of your tap, think twice. Natalia Cole of Mespit, uh, she's like most people. She uh, found that there were elevated levels of lead in her water, and she says, "Quote: There's nothing I can do." Of course, uh, she received a letter. She got uh, she got assurances from the APA and others, uh, saying from city officials, saying, "Hey, listen, it's only a they." This is their quote exactly: "The levels that were detected were very slightly above." Uh, the action level that the EPA defines. So it doesn't pose any clear public health risk. Oh, it's only slightly above what the EPA says is the problem. You know, that's not a big deal. It's okay. It's not like it hurts. Look, yeah, again, you know, lead, it's not like one of those metals that builds up in your body over time. It doesn't, it's not like it has a cumulative effect. Oh, oh wait, yeah, it does. It, It is exactly what it is. Lead is a metal, it's a heavy metal that accumulates in your body over time, just like mercury, just like a lot of those uh, elements that are at that part, gold, other elements that are in the, on the periodic table at that point, uh, they all have, a, have this sort of way of coagulating inside of you, uh, specifically in your brain, you know, exactly where you don't want things like lead or mercury to accumulate. And uh, lead poisoning over time, it uh, drives people insane, which would explain why New Yorkers are the way they are. I think we just figured it out. (laughs) What, is there something in the water? The answer is yes, there is something in the water. It's lead. (laughs) It's element number 82 on the periodic table. It's lead, for God's sake. (laughs) Lead is in the friggin' water. I think we figured it out. They're all leadheads. Yeah, they're leadheads. Pablo Guzman of the uh, of the EPA, I guess, he says that uh, all is good. You don't have to worry about it. It's fine. No big deal. Dr. Thomas Farley of the city health commissioner, he held a joint press conference 
about the slight increase in lead in the city's water, and he urged all New Yorkers to run cold water first before using it for drinking or cooking. Hey, you know, if you just run that tap for a little while, that lead's just going to come right on out of there. It'll be just fine. Yeah, but doesn't it go down the drain and then it goes into the sewer and then it goes back into the reclamation process and then it goes back into the supply? Well, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how it works. But, you know, that lead, it'll just flush right out again. So just, you know, keep running that cold water. So you're just recycling the lead. Well, yeah, you know what? Why are we sticklers for these dumb details? I mean, come on, it's just lead. Details, details. Uh, Dr. John Rosen of uh, Mount Fiore Hospital is an expert in lead poisoning among children. He said that while there's not enough lead in the water to be a problem, he says, quote, when it comes to lead, it's always better to be safe than sorry, because according to the U.S. CDC and the uh, EPA, there really is no level of lead that's safe for children. It's not just for children. There's no level of lead that's safe for anybody. Kind of reminds me about uh, how back in the 40s and 50s, back when uh, the the nuclear craze was going on in this country, we sort of just said, oh, well, uh, look, um, if you're just exposed to small amounts of radiation over time, you'll get over it. You'll build up an immunity. You'll build up a resistance. to. Re it's kind of like how if we expose you to a disease, like if we expose you to a virus... And we put that in your body, you'll make antibodies to fight it. You know, radiation works the exact same way. That's, that was really the way that we thought in the 40s and 50s. I had a chemistry teacher in high school. She was this old woman. Half of the nerves in her hands and, and over most of her body were dead. Probably riddled away from cancer and from cell degeneration because, well, number one, she did chemistry experiments and, and fried half of her skin off, or uh, her nerves anyway. Um, and then part of it too was... She told us about this same thing about how, you know, people were exposed to radiation and they had this idea that if you expose people to small amounts of radiation over time, that you would have a resistance to it. You would be able to sort of adapt in your, the cells and your body would evolve. Yeah, they'd evolve, all right. They'd evolve and become destructive cells and then they would become cancerous cells and then you would be dead. It's hard to believe that we actually thought that way. And then when I see stories about lead, they go, nah, you know, it's, it's a, just a small amount. It's, it's only a little bit above the EPA standard. And it's not like the EPA standard is, I mean, it's pretty low. I, I, don't, I don't know what the standard is. I think it's like 70 parts per billion or, or something, you know, something that's very, very minute. You'd never be able to detect it with your eyes. You'd never be able to taste it or anything. But it's still this teeny tiny amount that's in there. See, I know people make fun of me because on, on my Facebook page a few months ago, I posted pictures of brown water coming out of my tap. Literally, there was water. It was rust color. It was coming out of my tap. It was reddish brown. There's, those pictures are still there. I should post those back up on michaelgraff.com. I think that would actually be a cool thing to put up there. I didn't want to drink that water. And I had somebody from the city come out here and look me in the face and say it's safe. And I said, so I had the glass sitting there. I go, you drink it. He goes, well, I'm not drinking it. I was like, exactly. You're not going to drink it. You're not going to drink brown, brownish red stuff that comes out of your faucet. Why should I drink it? He goes, well, this guy gave me this explanation. He goes, well, you know what it am. Was. See, what happened to him? Because so many people is buying bottled water and because so many people is buying, you know, that, that and because they am the middle of the day. I was like, yeah. Well, the thing of it am that 
Since that been going on, then water has been just, the water is sitting in the reservoir. It ain't moving. So it accumulates dirt. And since it be accumulating the dirts, then when it come out of your faucet, it all like kind of brown, you know? It's sort of a little bit brown, sort of a little bit dirty, but it ain't actually harmful. It's just got a little sediment in there. I'm like, well, I'm not drinking dirt. I wouldn't go outside and pick up a big handful of grass or a big handful of soil and go, yeah, you know, it's rich with minerals. Like when you buy a salad in the store, it doesn't come with the dirt too that it was, you know, that the plant came from. Why? You wouldn't eat dirt that's still on your salad. Why would you drink dirt that's in your water? I love these people, these, these spin meisters. They go, well, you know, come on, man. It's, it's safe. It's water. It's not bad. It's just got, it's got a little bit of lead. <laughs> It always works when you ask them to drink it, though. Yeah. Well, you know what we didn't mention? We didn't talk about on the show the other day? We didn't talk about this. Uh, you know, John Stewart, he held that uh, rally for sanity. This was last weekend. He held that in Washington, D.C. It was a rally for sanity. This was sort of in response to the Glenn Beck rally that took place in August and sort of in, also in response to the Democrats. They held a rally in early October. So John Stewart, the host of The Daily Show, a guy, I don't really understand the John Stewart phenomena. Again, I've talked about it a million times on the show. I don't have anything against John Stewart personally. I have no axe to grind. I don't know. I just, I don't really get it. I'm not one of those people that get it. He's one of those kind of guys, that Daily Show, it's one of those kind of shows either you get it or you don't. I just don't get it. It's it's not, I don't think it's bad. I don't think he's bad. He's, he's a talented guy. Uh I'm just, I just don't get the phenomena, the craze. But that's me. So he held this uh, big rally for sanity. And um, I don't know, I guess it was just to try and get people to sort of stop screaming and yelling and more just to start uh, to get the government to sort of listen to the people. And really, it, it wasn't a rally where they had a bunch of politicians speaking. It was just a bunch of people. And Jon Stewart was among those people. And uh, I guess, supposedly, they did. They got like 200,000 or 250,000 people. Some estimates say there was even more. Some say a little bit less. But the fact that that many people showed up, I mean, this guy, John Stewart, he's amazingly popular. And what it says to me is, it says that radio guys have more clout than politicians, is what it says. Radio and TV guys, broadcasters. Because Glenn Beck has that radio show. And yeah, he has his Fox, uh, his show on Fox News now as well. But he has uh, his radio show. And it's the third most listened to radio show in the country behind Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity. In terms of a uh, number of total listeners daily, it's the third most listened to radio show. So he got a bunch of people to show up. Now, his rally was more centered in religion and sort of, yeah, there was some, so it was definitely, there was a political aspect of it as well, but there was a lot of religious stuff. You know, and Glenn Beck, I mean, what, I don't know. I have nothing against Glenn Beck either. I, I'm not one of these guys that gets on and screams about how he's, he's completely ruining the discourse in this country. He's destroying the fabric of the broadcast business and he's polarizing and galvanizing the discourse and it's, he makes it impossible for anybody to get a sane message out there. You know, all this criticism of Glenn Beck. Listen, anybody that takes a radio guy that seriously has a problem, especially a radio guy that used to be he used to be one of these morning show guys. He used to be one of these dudes that would get on the air in the morning and wake up with wacky news for the morning and blah. You know, he's one of those kind of guys. And now he has a radio show where he's a little bit more serious and he has a message and he wants to get it out there. 
I don't know. I, I wouldn't ever take a guy like that very seriously. Just like I wouldn't take Ed Schultz and those guys that had their rally in early October, I wouldn't take them all that seriously. And I wouldn't take Jon Stewart all that seriously. It's entertainment, people. It's just like when a politician rallies people, it's they're rallying people for their cause. These radio guys are rallying for their cause. It's, a, it's about driving ratings. It's about being able to, they're a brand. Glenn Beck is a brand. Jon Stewart is a brand. Ed Schultz is a brand. All of these people are brands. They're out there promoting who? Themselves. Everybody's going to go, well, Glenn Beck, uh, he had this rally and now I'm going to go buy his book. That's the point. I'm going to listen to his radio show. That's the point. Ed Schultz, same thing. John Stewart, same thing. You have all these people out there. See, I'm pretty sure most people know who John Stewart is already, but maybe somebody, uh, people heard about this, uh, this big rally that he had, and now people are going to go, you know what? I'm going to watch that Daily Show, or I'm going to listen to what John Stewart has to say, or he puts out a book. I'm going to buy his book. That's what it's about. It's about a brand. When you're on the radio and you have free advertising every single day for your agenda, it's, it's your forum to express your agenda. That's what Glenn Beck has. It's what Ed Schultz and all these other guys. Uh, John Stewart has that with his TV show. You're a brand. You're able to put that out there. But I do think it's fascinating when these guys who I didn't think they could ever draw that kind of a crowd, when they're able to get that kind of a crowd, it does show you a couple of things. It says that they're not only popular figures, that's the very obvious sort of assessment, but what it says is, is that they're very effective at marketing their brand. And they're very effective because they're all, in a sense, galvanizing forces. In a sense. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that, what is the job of a broadcaster? It's to elicit a response. In one way or another. When I used to do the, the live version of this show, see, right now, the way I do this show now, I don't really, I'm not doing this show to elicit a response. I'm not doing this show to get you to email me. I mean, I always throw my email address out there. I'm always open to conversations. If you want to send me an IM or you want, I, I love conversation and I love interaction. Don't get me wrong. But I, what I say on this show, I don't say it for the sole purpose of getting a reaction. I say it because it's what's on my mind. This is my podcast. It's my forum to divest myself of whatever. I talk about very personal things. I talk about things that are in the news. I talk about all sorts of stuff. And back when I did the live show, I, I, I always, whenever I got hate mail, people would say, how can you stand to get hate mail? How, how, do, you, how do you deal with that? I'd say, well, it just means that those people are listening. Those are all listeners, whether they're haters, whether they love me, if they're emailing, if they're responding, that's good. It means I'm doing an effective job. And it means that I have elicited a response in somebody. Haters were great. You know, in radio, just as a brief aside, and TV is sort of this way too. You know what you want more than anything? Yeah, you want loyal fans and you want people that love you and you want people that know you. You know, I have people that they listen to every podcast I have. They, they listen, they've listened to every show I've ever done. We had a guy, there was a guy uh, a couple of years ago who told me he recorded every single show that I've done since 2003. So, and you love those guys. Those are what you call P1 listeners. Those are in the business, we call those, that's your P1 listener. That's your loyal listener base and they're great. But you know who you love more and you know who's a, even a better listener than that? The people that hate you. 
The people that hate you, on average, will listen twice as long as the people that like you. It's the Howard Stern effect. Howard Stern has very loyal listeners, and he has people that love his radio show. I'm a fan of his radio show. Love it. But you know who's even a bigger fan are people that hate him or people that are what you call closet lovers of the show. But when they get out in public, they always denounce his show. But then they they turn around and they always listen to it. The average average fan of the show, the average person that liked the show would listen for an hour a day, hour and 15 minutes. This is from his movie, but these are actual real statistics. They'd listen for an hour and 15 minutes. The average hater of the show would listen two and a half hours. They'd listen twice as long. The reason? They want to hear what he'll say next. And that is what makes a great radio host, is if you're one of those people that says those outrageous things, whether it's Glenn Beck, whether it's Ed Schultz, whether it's... And I use Ed Schultz because he's probably the biggest name on the liberal side of the talk genre. Just like Rush Limbaugh is sort of the biggest name on the side of the conservative. Glenn Beck is sort of the big name because he's sort of the hot thing right now. But Rush Limbaugh has sort of been there the longest. And Jon Stewart is his own brand. He's one of these guys, hey man, I'm not really liberal. I'm not really conservative. I'm just out here. I just do a show and I'm a comedian. But you know, I, I think that we should all just sort of calm down. And what, But he's got his own message and he's got his own way he worked it. So that's good. You know, the way I do the show, I, I'm not I, I'm not pro wrestler. All right. You're never gonna get phony from me. I'm as real and as raw as it gets. And maybe, maybe that's why I'll never have the kind of career that those guys have. Because you know what? I'm never gonna get on the air and tell you all things Republican are good and all things Democrat are bad, or all things Democrat are good and all things Republican are bad. I, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna toe the line for any specific party. I mean, I'm a registered libertarian, and who do you think is the most critical of libertarians? Me. You know, so I, uh, I have my own style and my own uh, way of presenting things, just like these guys. And if you like it, you like it, and if you don't, you don't. I don't know. We, we haven't, uh, I, I just didn't get to talk about that. So he had uh, 250,000 people or more. John Stewart that showed up for his big rally. So I guess good for him. I didn't think that that many people would show up. I was, I have to tell you, I was dead wrong. I really was. A lot of people love that guy, especially in my age group, the, the 25 to 34. Well, actually about the, yeah, about that, about the 25 to 34 and and maybe a little bit beyond mid twenties to about late thirties. They really love this guy. They're really into John Stewart sort of that late sort of college generation, the, the you know, mid, early mid-20s to sort of my age and a little bit later. Again, I don't get it. Uh, somebody needs to sort of explain to me the popularity, but I, uh, I certainly don't begrudge him that. And his message, I, I guess his message was okay. His message is, hey, we all just need to sort of chill out and we need to start listening and we need to start sort of Instead of just screaming down the other person's ideals, maybe we should actually start to listen a little bit. I mean, it's never going to happen. <laughs> but it's something that maybe we ought to consider doing. You want to talk about wasteful government spending. This is definitely an example of it. There is a uh, study out. 
$700,000 the government has spent to research cow burps. <laughs> wow. $700,000 that uh, your taxpayers have funded to research cow burps. Now, there's, there's a bit of a technical explanation to it. and I don't know if I should go into the whole thing. But this has started from the University of New Hampshire and researchers around it are, they're creating a computer model to help organic dairy farmers cut greenhouse gas emissions such as methane because, um, well, I, I guess, you know, they, they say that, of course, methane, it's, it's a greenhouse gas. Nitrogen and carbon-based greenhouse gases are produced via a complicated system of dairy farms. And, you know, this is sort of the big scam about going green and having so-called green farms. The problem is, is that cows that are on those farms, uh, you know, they produce methane when they burp. Methane is a greenhouse gas. Now, of course, the amount that they produce is so small and would never affect the atmosphere. But, of course, these nut jobs think that it does. They think that every time a cow burps, it gets a little bit warmer on planet Earth. So they had. Is this this the same nut jobs that came up with global warming as well? Well, it's the same. It's the same school of thought. Yes, the same school of thought is, hey, uh, you know, uh, these greenhouse gases. This is what's causing global warming, Uh, and so, so they say, well, why don't you go green then? But then, of course, the the problem with going green is even on green so called green farms, you have all these cows and they're burping and they're producing methane. And they don't believe in killing cows on these farms. They, they want to just raise them for, for milk and for everything else. So they just keep them around. The problem is old Bessie there, she produces a bunch of uh, uh, methane every time she burps. Methane's a greenhouse gas. <laughs> we all know that a, we all know that, that little tiny amount of methane is going to destroy the ozone. Yeah. Quote, cows emit most of their methane through belching. Only a small fraction from flatulence. This is according to the project's principal investigator, Ruth Werner. She's of UHM's Institute for the Study of Earth, Oceans, and Space. UHM has been awarded $700,000 from the U.S. Department of Agriculture grant to create a computer model that measures the amount of greenhouse gases an organic dairy farm produces and thus provide ways to cut those emissions. Werner said that uh, the study will focus on the waste streams at farms using UHM's own organic dairy farm as a testing ground. Researchers will measure things like how spreading manure on pastures will affect the amount of greenhouse gases that are produced. The idea is to use the various factors to create a computer model that farmers can use to uh, plug in data for their own farms. Quote, the real goal is to get a decision support tool that captures the very complicated biology of those systems and uses rigorous science that can support the model results, said Bill Salas, the the president of the Applied Geosolutions LLC, which is creating the computer model. I have a really salient, really sort of important question here, and this is just, you'll forgive me for asking this, but... How did planet Earth get by so well all these years up until now without a computer model to tell us how many, how much methane each cow is producing? How did 
mankind get along for the last 65 plus thousand years that man has been on the planet and we have been farming basically since we got here, ever since the days of whatever, since we first evolved or dropped in from the sky or appeared via I Dream of Genie or whatever the hell happened, however the hell we got here. (laughs) How did man get by so well prior to that? Ignorance. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I, I'm just... No, I'm curious. Like, I really want to know if we didn't have these sophisticated computer models to tell us how much methane each cow is producing, man, uh, what would we do? We're spending $700,000. <laughs> Some guy is wondering how he's going to eat tonight on the streets of Phoenix. But he should know that $700,000 of taxpayer money went so we could build a computer model to test how much methane is coming from cow burps and, uh, and how much methane and, and greenhouse gases are produced by farms. Who cares? <laughs> you know what? Because before all this, people didn't care. They were... Ignorant to the stupidity. Well, before all of this, guess what we did? We just farmed. And then people didn't know what greenhouse gases were. You know what they knew? They knew that if they didn't get the farm, if they didn't do their farming, people wouldn't have milk and they wouldn't have cheese and they wouldn't have eggs and they wouldn't have food and people would die. If we didn't have farming, we would all be dead. Can we just go back to that? Yeah, that's sort of what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just saying that maybe, maybe the most important thing isn't necessarily how much methane a cow is producing, but maybe how much money are we printing in this country? The only place that's producing methane... The only place that's producing harmful gases is every time one of these jackasses opens their pie hole and starts spewing crap about how we have to cut down on greenhouse gas emissions. And we need to develop computer models and we need to spend as much money as possible investing and researching this. No, we don't. Somehow mankind has gotten along just fine for 65,000 years. Without this knowledge. I think we can do just fine. <laughs> they, would, they would think that too if they weren't complete assholes. <laughs> well, they'd think it too if, uh, well, I, I don't know. I, there's a lot, listen, there's a lot of money to be made in, in green technologies. You know, again, we talk about big oil and big pharma and big this and big that. Guess what? There's big green also. No, there is. It's its its own. I wouldn't even call it a cottage industry. It's its own unique industry. You know what it is? They they do surveys and stuff just to find a new way to go green so they can make money. Well, that's exactly what they do. They uh, they want this the entire global warming aspect and the entire green industry aspect is just that it's an industry it's it's like any other industry and that's what you have to remember it is a business just like anything else oh sure they do it in the name of altruism so people buy into it 
But why do you think they want to have all these taxes put on people that use too many carbon credits? Where do you think the entire concept of carbon credit even comes from? It comes from the notion <laughs> that they will charge you if you do too much, if you if you ex, if you use uh, excessive amounts of fuel for your for your cars. They they want to have a tax. And where do you think this money goes? Well, this money goes to the people that run the carbon credit bank or the carbon credit system. You know what it reminds me of? Propaganda. Uh, well, it's interesting. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. You are, you hit the nail on the head. But if you don't go along with it, if you don't play, if you don't play by the rule, necessarily, well, then you're, you're anti-environment. You're against. Well, then and you're a terrorist. Well, yeah, and you're probably a terrorist, or you're evil, or or you're one of these big corporatists, or you're you're one of these guys. You you don't care about science in the advance. No, this has nothing to do with science. This isn't science at all. It's, again, it's about making money, and that's really what it comes down to. All right, Mike at kmgx.com, the email address. It's Mike at kmgx.com. Michael Graff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. It's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-R-O-F-F Show on AOL Instant Messenger. Um, probably should take a break. Oh, you know, I want to mention this. Again, I mentioned this off the top of the show, and I just want to make sure that I, I get this point out there. Um, you know, the state of Oklahoma is, uh, is scaring me a little bit. They had this uh, question 755, which deals with uh, Sharia law. And, how, and, and this has been an issue, a, a big issue that's come up not only here in the United States, but across the pond over there in England and elsewhere. Uh, they've been talking about how they're going to deal with uh, the idea of Sharia law. Because, you know, in, in England, they have a big influx, a huge, burgeoning Muslim population. And I bring this up because this is the one-year anniversary of N Nadal Hassan, who went nuts and shot up uh, everybody uh, at Fort Hood. And this guy, um, he was one of these, he was an Islamic extremist. He was a Muslim. He practiced a Sharia law. He was one of these jackasses. And in Oklahoma, they wanted to, you know, somebody had the brilliant idea of, hey, well, if we get Sharia law here, we could done start a... And, you know, we could have trials if, if you want to be a Muslim. Actually, I'm pretty sure nobody that talks like that wanted to bring it in there. I'm sure it was more like uh, somebody came along and just said, hey, let's try and get Sharia law here. Let's try and make it so that courts can actually uh, practice Sharia law. <laughs> I, I can't imagine of all places to try and get that going in the United States, Oklahoma would be the last place I would ever expect. I would think Oklahoma, and, and you know, we've, we've had a lot of fun at the expense of Oklahoma on, on this show. But, you know, I would tell you that the last place I would ever expect sympathy toward Muslims, and especially sympathy toward Sharia law, which is backwards and barbaric, and that's me being very kind right now. The last place that would ever have sympathy toward that would be in Oklahoma. But they tried this question 755. I tell you. Now there's report that some uh, that a guy here and I, I just I don't have his name in front of me I don't know some eye chart Akbar or something or other I don't know. anyway some guy uh, he wants to sue uh, and he wants to try and get this going 
He wants courts to recognize Sharia law. If it's a legitimate Islamic wedding, he wants the courts to be able to recognize Sharia law. Now, in Sharia law, what is Sharia law? Well, it's what they practice over there in Saudi Arabia and in other parts of the Middle East. And in Sharia law, among other things, as you know, when you go over to Saudi Arabia, women do not have the same kind of freedoms that they enjoy here in the United States or in much of the civilized world. Women are, uh, they have a very specific type of dress that they are uh, expected to wear in public. And they are not allowed to be out alone in public. They must be accompanied, escorted by a man, uh, specifically one whom they are related to. Usually that would be their husband. And if they are out without the proper escort of a man, well, there could be penalties. And God forbid that women should ever cavort with each other out in public. Oh, no. Especially not just walking around in the streets. Um, for a long time, they wouldn't let women drive cars there in some, in some parts of the Middle East. Now, some places did, but in some places, women were not allowed to drive cars. They most certainly weren't allowed to vote in most areas. Uh, where was that? Was that in Saudi Arabia? We did the story last year about how now women were going to be allowed to vote finally. Yeah, here in the United States, we did that a century ago. The sad thing is it took, the sad thing is it's only been a century. I mean, I don't know why women weren't allowed to vote since 1776. Because <laughs> uh, they don't think properly, I don't think, down there. It's, it's like, uh, they're backwards. Well, uh, we all know that uh, most of the Middle East uh, does live in, in, I've said this for a long time, they live in about the 7th century. I mean, that's when Islam uh, developed. That's when um, the Prophet Muhammad came about and uh, the Quran was crafted and uh, that's when the Islamic revolution really started to take place. I believe that was the 7th century. And uh, and ever since the Islamic revolution, the it, time has stood still in much of those areas. Oh, sure, they have electricity. At least some places do. Sure, they have TV and radio. And they have many of the, they have the interwebs and they have all the modern conveniences that many of us enjoy. Except, of course, the most basic of modern conveniences, and that is freedom. And women are, are second class citizens and second class is being generous. Now, some women will tell you they don't mind. Well, the reason they don't mind is because they don't know any better. They don't know that, oh, you mean to tell me that I don't have to be forced to marry somebody? Oh, you mean to tell me that I actually have a choice in what I can do? You mean to tell me I can walk outside wearing whatever the hell I want? Not over there, though. You're considered unclean. And God forbid, if you ever should get raped in some places, this does not apply everywhere, but in some places there, we've done these uh, types of stories on the air many times, it's you, you, get, uh, you get an honor killing. You die because you were raped. What happens is they find out. And now, remember the story we did about the, there was a girl, she was like 10 years old, I believe, 10 or 12. And her father raped her. Really a, just a despicable story. 
Or no, no, it wasn't her father. It was her brother. It's a despicable story. But she was like a 12-year-old girl. Her brother rapes her. And nothing bad happens to the brother or he gets a lash or something. I don't know. He gets something. But nothing really happened to him. The girl, on the other hand, was uh, the parents disavowed her. They, they, uh, they didn't want to have anything to do with her. And so what they did was they engaged in an honor killing under the most fundamental aspects of Sharia law, or at least that was their justification. Look, I don't claim to be a, a, uh, an expert in Sharia law. I just know what, uh, what I have heard and read and the kinds of stories that have come out of that backwards-ass part of the world about the teachings of Sharia law. And I just know from what I've been told by women that lived in Saudi Arabia, whom, I'm, whom I went to college with, and those women still wore their burqas here and they still wore their, you know, they, they wore their, uh, they were covered head to toe, even though it's 110 degrees in, in the month of uh, May. They're, they're, st- they're walking around wearing that stuff. And the reason is because they're practicing their Sharia law. They're not to be. Uh, they're not to be out without a man. They're certainly not to to talk to guys. Really, women, man, they're they're treated very poor. And you know, it's not just that. There's a lot of uh, there's there's uh, there's a lot of uh, restrictions on everybody. And you want to introduce that to the United States if that ever happened? I got to tell you something. Be it in Oklahoma, in. Wisconsin, in wherever. I don't care what state you bring it into. Liberal state, conservative state, moderate state, whatever state you bring it into, this country uh, is going to have a big problem if that ever got, gets infused into the court system. If it, the court, it, first of all, would never happen. Okay, it's, it's almost a moot point. It's all, almost not even worth discussing because the court system has no means to do it. We have su- the supreme law of the land here is the Supreme Court and is the Constitution, and are the laws that have been set aside by Congress, and uh, whether it's a state legislature or the federal legislature. So those are the supreme laws of the land. You cannot supersede those for religious law. While we have the First Amendment in this country, which guarantees you religious freedoms, it doesn't guarantee you religious freedoms at the detriment of another human being. In other words, you can't just kill somebody and then say to the police officers, you can't just say to them, well, uh, officer, listen, under Sharia law, she had sex with another man. So I got to kill her. I get to kill her. It's an honor killing. Oh, well, you, well then, Mr. Hajan, you uh, go on with your life there. Uh, Sorry to have bothered you, sir. No, that's not how it works in this country. And there's no way we can ever have it work that way because it would turn into a lawless mass. It would turn into an anarchy. That'd be fun. Yeah. Look, we got to take a break. Yes, another break. And then we'll come back. We'll have a third and final segment. And then uh, once we do that, well, I don't know. Something exciting will happen. We have uh, more of the Michael Graff Show stupid news file. We'll talk about something a little bit less heavy than, uh, than all this. Uh, maybe. Just stupid people doing stupid things. We have that. And uh, anything else. Karina wants to chime in with anything, certainly. You have anything you want to promote? Anything that you're doing? Anything coming up? Uh, you have your own brand you want to promote? Really? <laughs> Do you have your own website 
know. <laughs> you have a Facebook page? Not, not like Rush Limbaugh. I don't have like, everything you could possibly think of in the world with my name on it. You have a Facebook page? <laughs> a private one, yeah. You, you don't have one? I do, but it's private. Oh. I don't really have many people on it. I see. I have my like, friends from 4-H and friends from school, and that's it. <laughs> there you go. You know, Speaking of Facebook, you know, I just saw this. I saw this today. According to something I read, and I find this hard to believe, but maybe it's not so hard to believe. Okay, guess the, guess the percentage of people that actually have a Facebook account. In the United States, number of, of U.S. citizens... That have a Facebook account. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> the, per- the percentage. Uh, let's say eighty-five percent. Wow, you're actually, you're really close. Really? Eighty-three percent. I I read this today. Wow. I, I, I find that almost impossible to conceive of, but maybe, maybe not. Eighty-three percent. Of Americans have a Facebook account. Well, I have one, and I'm usually the last person to get in on that. And I, w- I must admit, I was, I was, I was one of the first people to get in on Face on uh, MySpace, but uh, I was one of the last people. I got dragged. I, I was. I don't know. I liked MySpace better than Facebook, to be honest with you. I thought the interface was much easier to manage. I thought. I just thought the whole website was just much easier to deal with. Well, Facebook is just. MySpace is kind of easier to like, like the, more pedophiles are on MySpace than they're on Facebook. I guess. Because you can fake it, you can fake easier on MySpace than you can on Facebook. How? I mean, you could just create an account on Facebook, can't you? Yeah, but you know, they also have networks and stuff on, but they don't have on MySpace, so. I don't add anybody unless they have a network that they're confirmed on. Huh. You can be confirmed. I, I, I really don't know anything about it. They have, like, um, like your high school networks, they'll have, like, uh, like, Florida High School 09. Like, the year, it's your, the high school that you go to and the year you graduate. They, they have networks like that, and I don't add anyone unless they have a network that I know, like, that I trust. All right. Well, that's very smart. I mean, I don't know. That's 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 good. I, I don't know. Or, or I know them personally. Like, I can actually say I know them. Right. Yeah, I mean, my, my Facebook, I've got a lot of people I don't even know who they are. I mean, a lot of them, actually, a lot of the people on my Facebook are listeners, and then some people I know personally, and then there are a couple people that are on there. I have no idea who they are. Literally, (laughs) there are a couple of people. I don't know who they are. I have no idea. I assume they're listeners. That's how they found me and added me. They've never said anything to me, So, and they've never wrote it on my wall. They've never done anything. What? Have you ever had somebody from like a completely different country just randomly add you before? Um, not really. Uh, I think the closest thing I have to that is again, there was a listener. I have a listener, I think, from like Siberia that added me, and uh, so. But again, he was a listener, so that's not completely random. I mean, he found me there and he <laughs> added me. Yeah, well, I, I, I've had, I had this like 
don't know, it's some random, like, Russian person or something just randomly adding me, like, what, what, what is, big line. <laughs> well, yeah, I, well, uh, you know, hello, I just want to add you to my Facebook. There is nothing, you know, crazy going on here at all. I just, I uh, just want to say hello. And I want to investigate and um, look into hot American chicks. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what it is. I have no intention of going over there and stealing you and making you a next Russian bride or, you know, nothing crazy like that. Yes. All right. Um, <laughs> all right, we'll take a break and uh, come back and talk more about Facebook or something. I don't know. I, I didn't see the... the, the movie about it either. I didn't see the social network movie. Blah. All right. I didn't either actually. Yeah. I I'm just not really interested in any of that. I I'm barely on my Facebook page as it is. And again, I know I should probably be more active on it and market better and I know that, but all right. Uh, we'll just take a quick break and then come back and wrap it all up, put a bow on this program for the day. Back right after this. A show coming from the Common Sense Party. It's the zip code famous Michael Groff Show. You said you died for me. Woke up to reality and found the future not so bright. I dreamt the impossible, but maybe things could work out right. And final segment of the Zip Code Famous Michael Grubb Show on a Friday, November the 5th, 2010. Mike at KMGX.com is our email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com. Michael Grubb Show, AOL Instant Messenger. Okay, I swear on our next show, I'm, I'm promising this and I don't break promises. That's the thing about me. If you're ever lucky enough, if I know. This is one of those things. If you're lucky enough to ever know me and I make a promise to you, I will tell you this. I always keep my promises and this is one I'm keeping. So book this one. On our next show, I've got to read uh, some email and some messages that I've received from listeners and I have to respond to that on the air because I haven't gotten back to a lot of people that have emailed me and I, I feel like a douche. So uh, I'm definitely going to do that. Because I always do get back to listeners, whether it's a response on the show or uh, personally, and almost always it's personally. But I, I really have been bad about that, so I need to do that. And I do apologize. Anyway, yes, so Mike at KMGX.com. That's our email address. Michael Grob Show, AOL Instant Messenger. It's available to you 24-7-365. Uh, for you, for all the messages, I respond to them all eventually, including the death threats. So you can send those in. 
Also, uh, you know, it's weird. Speaking of that, I got a call on my cell phone the other night. Yeah, somebody said... Somebody used a very racial slur and then said that they were going to kill me. That was pretty funny. I don't know. I do have my, my number posted on Facebook, so... But it's private. It's just the people that know me there, which since going back to our conversation, since I don't know everybody on there, who knows? Could have been uh, could have been some nut job. Then again, I do have my number up in other public places. I don't care. So what? All right. Let's see here. Uh, a couple of other things to get to on the program tonight. I, you know, I was just, we were just talking about this in the uh, in the break. By the way, joining us uh, on the show, Karina. Hi. Hello. I was just talking with her in the break about this too. This is something I wanted to bring up. So uh, as if there's not enough government waste going on, we just talked about $700,000 for CalBurp research, among other things. How about the president... You want to talk about out of touch and you want to talk about how it is that the country responded uh, to the outrageous spending that goes on. And right after that, now there's a report out that the president is going to India and he's going to go to the Gandhi Museum. And this is a, a trip that will cost billions of dollars. This trip will cost billions. Check this out. And I'm not making this up. Uh, this is, let's see here, the planned visit to Mani, Mani Bevan, which is the Gandhi Museum, on November 6th, soon after the president arrives in Mumbai. U.S. Uh, Secret Service and uh, other security detail visited the museum last week to check out uh, what's, you know, what they need to do. But, of course, this is in an area that is uh, surrounded by skyscrapers and it's in a very populated area. So they said, all right, we, we have to come up with a way that's, uh, that makes it so it's very secure for the president to go through the area. I don't know why anybody in India would ever even think about assassinating the president. I don't know why he'd need security detail over there. Everybody must love him. Uh, after all, all the U.S. jobs, all, you know, India's been the biggest benefactor from the uh, U.S. economic collapse. I mean, all those guys over there, they're making like $4 a day. They're like, I love the president. I love the United States. We love you. $4 a day. Do you know what I can do with that? In India, $4 a day will buy you a house. You could buy... If I, I could get a raise to $4.25, I could buy a car tomorrow. Yes, sir. <laughs> While inspecting the route, the uh, the buildings lining up to the route, again, they say that this could be a, a potential security risk. So, they came up with an idea. The military and security details said that they want to come up with a bomb-proof, over-the-ground tunnel, which is to be installed by uh, the U.S. military engineers in just one hour. One hour. Now, what I want to know is we can put up a giant tunnel, a bomb-proof tunnel in an hour. How long did it take us to clean up that oil spill in the Gulf? How long has it taken us? We still haven't fixed all these bridges and all this infrastructure that's wrong in our country. There's so many things that uh, we could... <laughs> the tunnel would be a kilometer long, measuring 12 feet by 12 feet, enough to let Obama's cavalcade pass through. The tunnel would be uh, centrally air-conditioned, filtered with closed-circuit television cameras, 
and will be heavily guarded at every point, including, of course, the entry and exit ways. Details about when exactly the tunnel would be made were not released. They're not forthcoming, but officials said that the structure would be dismantled immediately after Obama leaves the area. The cost of all of this? Well, conservatively speaking... The cost of this entire trip for the Obamas, uh, for the security detail necessary, for the, for the engineers to build this, uh, the construction and deconstruction of all this, the entire trip has a price tag of nearly, get ready for it, $2 billion. $2 billion! $2 billion! No, 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 not $2 million. $2 billion! making it the most costly trip any president has ever taken, ever, in a time that is the worst in this country's history since somewhere around 1933. And I know, Mr. President, you say that the recession is over, but you're going to go out there and you're going to go on a trip and go for a $2 billion joyride so you can go and see the Gandhi Museum, of all things? Right now, you got people that are starving. you got guys along the Gulf Coast right now that are still trying to clean up the oil mess that's been going on out there from BP that you told them was going to be good as new and is all going to be good. you got unemployment at 9.6% right now. You have the American people that have just said to you, listen, we don't like the direction that you and your party have been taking this country. We want to stop spending. And then you turn around and you take a great big giant steaming dump right on the middle of this country and say, I don't care. I'm going to go on a $2 billion joyride so I can see the Gandhi Museum. You're going to go on a fancy vacation, Mr. President. You're going to go on a big vacation... So you can take a great big crap in the middle of this country. Can you imagine had President Bush done this? Can you imagine what would have happened if President Bush had taken a $2 billion trip somewhere? Can you imagine? We would have still be talking about it today. It would have made Katrina look like nothing. People, they would have been all over him for it. And they should have been. But of course, this softball media in this country, they, they go, ah couple of billion bucks for a vacation. Now, I, I find it very hard to believe that this would all cost two billion. But anything like this, just for the president to go and see a museum? Listen, I'm sure the Gandhi Museum is nice. I'm sure it's great. It's historic. It's wonderful. I, and I'm sure the, look, I'm not denying that the president should even go and see it. I mean, I, I have no problem with that. That's fine. But not on my dime. No. Not on your dime either. You should not put up with it. This is why the American people did what they did on Tuesday. They said, no, it's enough. Can you think of all the good we could do with $2 billion? $2 billion. The, the president talks about the unemployed. The president talks about how he cares about the unemployed. <laughs> I, I think I just realized something. What's that? <laughs> Governed by morons. We are. At this point, I'm just throwing my hands up. This is, I'm, I'm physically actually doing it right now. My hands are in the air. This president, I mean, you talk about not getting it. You talk about being disconnected from, from the people. I don't care what the price tag of this is. I don't care if it's two million, two billion, two zillion. I don't care what the price tag is. It is excessive. Remember, this is the same Obama that they, they had that vacation that they went on over there in Spain in August. 
Remember that? And they, they booked an entire, what was it? Like, it just didn't say five, uh, how many, uh, how many hotel rooms? Was it like 500 or something? They, they did this in Spain. They spent an insane amount of money. Now, of course, the president would never pay for this out of his own pocket. He can never afford it. Luckily, you can just, you could have old Ben Bernanke just print out a whole sheet of hundreds. You just start up those printing presses and we'll just walk up there. He'll just hand uh, those people over there. Uh, he'll just hand the military folks and the, the engineers and the folks of India. He'll just hand them a whole, uh, some sheets of $100. Here you go, guys. Sheet, just printed these off. <laughs> they still, you got to let the ink dry on them a little bit. <laughs> it's a big joke. And do you think the media is going to report on this? Do you think the media is going to talk about this? Of course not. This is this is the softball, sorry-ass United States media that's totally in the tank for this guy still. Literally, this guy could print money and then just, he could actually have it roll off a conveyor belt into, uh, into a fire. They could just start a bonfire with sheets of the money that they just printed off and people wouldn't care. I'm flabbergasted. I, I'm actually at a point that I'm very, very rarely at, and not a good point to be if you're a talk show host. I'm actually speechless. I actually don't even have words to describe the outrage and the sheer insanity that this represents. And I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. If Think about it this way. If you're a Democrat and, and President Bush did the same thing, you would have been all over him. You would have said, oh, that is just outrageous. How can he do that? President Obama does. If I turned on the Mike Malloy show, one of the loudest screaming so-called progressive voices, the most angry guy on the left, if I turned his show on, I wouldn't hear him screaming about this. He'd be carrying on about how the Republicans are evil and they're Nazis and they're bastards and they're, you know, they, they hate everybody and blah, 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 blah. He wouldn't talk about how the United States, how the president just took $2 billion and said, see ya. I want to go see a museum, $2 billion. God, imagine if this guy wanted to go to the Moscow McDonald's, it probably would cost us $5 billion. This guy wanted to go see the Parthenon, how much would that cost us? This guy wants to go on a sightseeing tour around the world. Mr. President, this is your showcase. That's like, the, it's the friggin' price is right. What, what do you bid on this trip to, uh, to Mumbai and for a, a fabulous trip to the Gandhi Museum? $2 billion. Unbelievable. Come on down. What's that? Our whole government is full of idiots, morons, and jackasses. Well, listen. I mean, this is the top. This is the guy that is supposed to be in, in essence, he's the CEO of the United States. He is the top of the heap. He is the commander-in-chief of the United States military. He is the top of the executive branch of the United States. He's the guy that is supposed to be the example, the standard for the United States of America. And what is he doing? He's going out there and he's spending two billion bucks so that he can go on a sightseeing tour. That's what I think. Get out of my face. It's true that I, I've not been a fan of President Obama. But I have to tell you, I, 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 
this right here, this just, this is just too much. And you can tell me, well, Mike, I mean, extensive security details for the president have been a, a regular thing. Yeah, but never anything like this. I have never heard of anything like this. And if there has been anything like this in the past, I would be just as outraged. I'm sorry. But at some point, especially when you've got the economy in the state that it's in right now, well, whatever, who cares? You know what? You people elected him. The problem is, is all of us have to pay. You know who should have to pay is anybody that voted for President Obama. See, we should have to have people put their names on the ballot. <laughs> so if you voted for the president and he does crap like this, you have to pay for it. The rest of us don't. I voted for the president. Why are my taxes so much higher? Because he had to go on a sightseeing tour. He wanted to go to India. I sure hope he doesn't want to go to Canada. Coming up next, the United States, uh, we spend $13 trillion because he wants to go to the moon. Well, I mean, why not? Imagine the president. I wonder what the sun's like this time of year. <laughs> Surprised they haven't just built a time machine for the guy. Why not? I mean, it's just it's an infinite amount of money. I mean, Ben Bernanke can just print more. I've run out of things to describe the sheer outrage and just the insanity of this guy. From the Michael Grave Show stupid news file, and it doesn't get much dumber than this. This is, of course, well, where else would this be from but Longview, Texas. A man driving a pickup truck pulled into the Skinner's Grocery and Market parking lot at Dalwood and H.G. Mosley. I guess those are streets in Longview. As he was pulling up to the front doors, he mistakenly hit the accelerator, smashing through the front doors of the store, right through the lobby... He then backed out of the building and hit another vehicle. <laughs> so bad enough that you're one of those dudes that, you know, runs into, the, into a store. He actually, he just ran his car right into it. He's like, ah, whoops, I accidentally hit the gas. We hear about that. Usually it's people that are like 7,000 years old. Yeah. yeah. Something like that happens. But then the guy backed out. He's like, oh, crap, I just hit a store. So, you know, the normal natural reaction, you know, you don't jump out of your truck and go, oh, my God, I hope nobody's hurt. I, I hope everything's okay. But no, he, he backs out because he's like, well, this isn't going well. So he backs out and then he hits another car. Yeah. <laughs> Disoriented, he hit the gas again. <laughs> And he drove back into the building. <laughs> he hit an ATM before backing out again and hitting a delivery truck. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so let's recap let's recap this just so we're clear <laughs> so the guy was pulling up to the front of a store you know some guy that's 93 his license should have been suspended 20 years ago blind blind out of one eye I can't see out of the other you know, the guy uh, the guy is he's got one of those life alert bracelets on so anyway, he drives up to the store. He accidentally hits the accelerator. He smashes into the store. 
then trying to get out of the situation, extricate himself from the situation. He backs out and he hits another vehicle. Then he's like, well, I've just backed into something, so I better go forward. So he drives back into the building, hitting the ATM. Then he's like, well, this isn't going well. I'd better back out. So he backs out and he hits a delivery truck. That's the greatest story ever. <laughs> Amazingly, nobody was seriously injured in the accident. The driver of the pickup truck is being checked out by paramedics on the scene. Probably should also be checked out by a psychologist. Probably should be checked out by an ophthalmologist. Probably should be checked out by the lady in the lab coat. Unbelievable. That's the greatest story I mean, it's one thing to, 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 you know, we did the story earlier this year. There was a guy that, you know, drove into a restaurant, like drove into the restaurant. Everybody was cool about it. Nobody got hurt. It was all good. Nothing bad happened. I've always imagined like one of these days, somebody's going to drive into a store and then back out and hit something else. But never did I think that somebody would drive into a store, back out, hit another car, drive back into the store and hit an ATM or hit something else, then back out and hit a different truck. That's not the, the, the trifecta. That's the superfecta of stupidity right there. There it is. Ladies and gentlemen, you have just heard it. Something that I didn't think would ever happen. The superfecta of stupidity. Wow. And you heard it right here on the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show. Now, here's, here's an interesting wow. story. That, that is, it is amazing, isn't it? They don't give any information about the guy, but he has to be. He's got to be no younger. And I'm saying has to be no younger than 80 driving a pickup truck. This is the pickup truck that my pappy used to drive. <laughs> yeah. I used to drive around this here pickup truck and take me over to the ballpark and watch the damn old games <laughs> when I was a boy. What kind of truck? Is it a Model T? Yeah. I sure do remember them 30s, boy. They was tough, too. President Roosevelt said the, the recession was over in 1934. <laughs> what a dummy. <laughs> I just drove into another store. <laughs> I think the guy completed a record of how many things you could possibly hit by going just forward and backward without turning. That, that is pretty impressive. I don't think you'll ever hear another story like that again. That's yeah, the no, that's the greatest. <laughs> the superfecta of stupidity. That's it right there. A store, a car, an ATM, and a delivery truck. <laughs> drive in, back out, drive in, back out. <laughs> I made love to that store with my car. <laughs> wow. Scientists say that a single injection of morphine, which is used to fight persistent pain in uh, male rats, is able to strongly reduce the hormone testosterone in the brain and plasma, according to a new paper published in the Journal of Molecular Pain. So morphine, we've talked about this uh, over the years, uh, all these different drugs that are administered and how they can be very harmful. Well, now they say that morphine uh, will take your testosterone away. 
testosterone and it can uh, destroy plasma. So what could wind up happening to you, even, this is a single injection. So imagine people that are on like a drip of it. Or imagine people that are on morphine all the time. I mean, you could literally probably turn into some skinny ass, you know, like a uh, shriveled up little prune that's bedridden all the time. The study led by Anna Maria Aloisi, the section of neuroscience and applied physiology at the University of Siena, Italy, the Institute for Cancer Research and the Molecular Medicine at Temple University in Philadelphia, University of Siena and the Human Health Foundation in Spoleto, Italy, showed that opioids had long-lasting genetic effects on the body and areas which contribute to strong central and peripheral testosterone levels, including the brain and liver. The study showed an increase in aromatase, uh, which is an enzyme that is responsible for a key step in the biosynthesis of estrogen. Both the testosterone and uh, estradiol are uh, important hormones uh, engaged in cognitive functions as well as in mood, motor control, and in many other functions such as bone structure. Yeah, they say that this is a really, this is crazy. Quote, our lab became interested in the uh, hormones uh, several years ago when it became clear that there were many differences in pain synthesis between the sexes. In looking in differences, it was immediately apparent that these changes were introduced by different treatments, opioids in particular. The research findings are very relevant to the management of patients with chronic pain, said Marco Papagallo, MD and professor director of the Pain Research and Development at the Department of Anesthesiology. It's an interesting story. It's about how people, uh, if, if you try to get, if, they, if you go to a hospital and they give you morphine, tell them no, especially if you're a dude could take away your testosterone, turn you into just a nothing. <laughs> I wonder how that works for everyone from World War II. That's like, that was, what, like, that was probably the strongest thing they had for the battles, at least, I think. They, they were, um, I mean, uh, the thing they used was morphine. Well, and the thing is, morphine or any of these drugs, and, and I always, I'm on the air, I'm always rallying against pharmaceuticals. And don't get me wrong, I'm not one of these people that'll never take aspirin or never take anything. However, I have to tell you, I have to tell you, I try to avoid uh, these pharmaceuticals at every turn. And the reason that I do that is because, man, uh, they're dangerous. You get on these things, you don't know what kind of side effects they had. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, if you would have said, ah, morphine, you know, it, it, it can, it could, you could lose uh, your testosterone. It could cause you to stop producing testosterone or interrupt the synthesis uh, for producing testosterone in the body. People would have laughed. They would have said, ah, whatever. But that's why people that get on morphine, they become weak. They become frail, not just because it's, a, it's an opioid, not just because it's an opiate, because it's just like anything else. I imagine if you take oxys, if you take, uh, you know, uh, generic Vicodin, like uh, hydrocodone or Vicodin itself, if you take any of these kinds of things, I, I, I can't imagine what kinds of other effects those dr kind of drugs could have on you. What kind of things are we putting into our body? These are just the kinds of things that people need to be thinking about.
People just pop pills and they take drugs and they, they don't consider what the consequences are. Some people don't care. But some people, they are ignorant to the possibility that some of these things could really go on. They say, ah, come on. But this research seems to indicate you take morphine, for example, uh, you become a shriveled up prune of a, of a man. You, uh, your testosterone, as long as you're on the morphine and even uh, for some time afterwards, you become this, this half a person, basically. Not to mention... Not to mention it affects cognitive ability. What's that? What's that? I wonder if they start looking like raisins. Well, they don't quite look like... Well, actually, it's, it's interesting. Probably a little bit, especially if you had muscle tone beforehand and uh, testosterone without it, uh, you're going to lose a lot of that. Probably, yeah, probably. And it affects mood. It affects cognitive ability. I don't know. It affects a lot of things. It affects a lot of things in the brain. And this is only the stuff we know about. There's probably other harmful side effects. Again, just, <laughs> just like with any other pharmaceutical. Well, it took them long enough to figure out the bad stuff. Just like what they know now. There's probably, there's, if it took them that long to figure out that much... How long is it going to take to figure out how dangerous it really is? And you raise a great point. This is why your general rule of thumb should probably be don't take pharmaceuticals if you can help it. And again, there are some wonderful drugs that are available that are fine and that are, or are fine in, in small doses for short periods of time. I'm not anti-science and I'm not anti-pharmaceutical completely. There are times where you have to take it. Listen, I I've been there. All right, I understand. But I I'm telling you, whenever we have a problem in this country, what's the first thing we do? We pop a pill. We have anxiety. We take Xanax. We have depression. We take... What, what the hell is that stuff? I'm not, I'm not just talking about... Uh, <laughs> uh, well, no, uh, I, know, I know what you're talking about, but I can't think of the name of it. Well, we have, uh, what is, uh, what are those various, there's just all these different drugs, uh, anything from Propecia to Lunastat or whatever that is to help people sleep or, um, or Ambien, Tylenol PM for God's sake. I mean, just, there's a million different drugs people take for various things all the time, every single day. And the problem is, <laughs> is you take the these worst. drugs and you don't know what you're putting in your body. The worst part is that it's, it's done without even thinking about it. <laughs> Listen, I was with someone that was on Prozac. And, I, okay, I have to admit that while she was on the Prozac, it, it, it did help her in some regard. I mean, she had some, she did have some depression. She had some, some problems, okay? And there was nothing, I, I had no objection except to say that, you know, to me it was mind over matter. Um, I'm one of those old school guys. I think that if you have uh, depression, I think that you can battle through it. Um, I mean, in terms of if there are chemical imbalances, uh, you know, how did people deal with it years ago? They just did. Now, what's our instinctive reaction as people? We just pop a pill and we say, here you go. And again, I'm not crapping on medical science. I'm not... I'm not taking away from, from sometimes people do need those things. Sometimes people do need psychotropic drugs. I do understand this, but I'm telling you that I think they are way overprescribed, way overused. We give kids Ritalin like it's candy. Yeah, kid can't sit still in class. Yeah, give him Ritalin. Maybe he's bored. Ever thought of that? 
Or maybe your kid just has a lot of energy. Maybe he's a high metabolism. Ever thought of that? You ever thought that maybe it's just a kid? Some kids are more hyper than others. Nah, you know what? Can't be. Because what they'll say is, ah, my kid went to school and he sat still. Well, great. Every kid's different. Everybody is different. So this idea that we should just start pumping people full of, of drugs. That's, I'm sorry. Uh, Lunesta was the name of that drug, by the way. That one that helps you sleep. That's one of those. Lunesta, Ambien, all those. The idea that people take these, it boggles my mind. I've never taken a psychotropic drug. These are all the drugs I've ever put in my body. I don't know every single one by name, but I can tell you every time I've ever had to take one. I've taken, and it's a short list, so I'm not going to be here long. Aside from aspirin and Tylenol and ibuprofen, those kinds of things, acetaminophen, which I don't take very often, I've taken Percocet a couple of times. Uh, Percocet's great. I mean, again, don't get me wrong. Percocet is like, it's like marijuana in a pill. <laughs> it is. It's actually, it's, it's not, it's actually not as good as marijuana in a pill, but it's in a way it is, it, but it does. It makes you, it's, it's kind of like getting a beer buzz without any sort of side effect. So, and I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to tell you that you should never, but I'm telling you that it can, uh, there are people that get addicted to those things. I took them, uh, I took like three or four of them after I had my surgery to have a golf ball sized stone removed from my ureter. Okay. So, yeah. So uh, I, I took a few of them because I did have a little pain following it. Not a lot, but I did have a little bit. And, you know, peeing out weird stuff. Uh, and then speaking of, I took some other pill to help. Um, uh, afterwards, uh, some other, it wasn't an antibiotic. I don't think it was, I, I don't know what pill this was that I took, but they, I, I had to take it following, um, just for a couple of days, which made my pee turn orange, by the way. That was always fun. What? Yeah. Some pill made my pee turn orange. I don't know. All right. So the, that was that. And then, uh, I've taken, uh, I've taken various, uh, antibiotics, a couple I've maybe two, three times, but well, I actually, I would say probably six times or so in my life I've taken antibiotics. Maybe maybe when I was a kid and I don't remember, maybe a little bit more, but I'm telling you, it's it's a pretty small amount. I, I've taken Advair, uh, Albuterol for asthma, uh, Singular for allergies, and then eventually uh, Allegra, and then eventually um, Zyrtec, which is over the counter. And that's about it. It's my list of drugs. I'm not one of these people that runs out and wants a pill for something as soon as I have a problem. I'm not saying I'm better than you because you've done it. You know, I'm not saying anything like that. I'm saying that's just for me. I don't think that that should be our, our natural reaction as humans to go out and take stuff. Oh, and yes, and, I, and, and I've smoked weed. The, the only thing I've had is Zyrtec for allergies. That's it. Never taken aspirin? Nope. Not yet, anyway. Tylenol? Hopefully. Acetaminophen? Anything of the sort? No. I've never had to deal with a headache yet. That's interesting. Okay. <laughs> Zyrtec? Actually, Zyrtec, um, Zyrtec kind of, for some reason, keeps pretty much everything under control. Because for some reason, headaches yeah. for me are tied into my allergies. Right. So, so when I take the Zyrtec, it keeps the headaches away too. Apparently. That's good. I mean, as long as you haven't taken a whole ton of uh, of uh, prescription uh, stuff or anything. 
Nope, I've never had to take any prescription medicines. The only thing is Zyrtec, which well, good for you. I need for my allergies. Good for you, that's good. Otherwise, otherwise, I wouldn't be able to concentrate in school because I'd be blowing my nose every two seconds. Hey, look, I mean, that's good. I'm glad that you that you haven't succumbed to all those things. And you've been relatively healthy, so there you go. It's just like I don't believe people should be taking the flu shot. How do you think we get these strains of influenza uh, that become so incredibly powerful that our own natural defense system can't fight it off? Uh, because we administer flu shots to people. So then the flu, the influenza uh, virus, the influenza strain, uh, it, it adapts itself. It evolves. Once again, proof that evolution exists. It evolves so that it survives and it changes. So then we have to come up with a new uh, vaccine and then it, it evolves again and the cycle continues until it becomes resistant and that's bad. And that's why I'm saying I just warn people against excessive uses, usages of uh, pharmaceuticals. It's my soapbox. And again, uh, to those of you that may write about it or comment about it, I'm not saying don't ever take them. I'm not saying I would never take them. I'm just telling you, I think that you have to be very, very careful what you take and how much you take of it. And just because your doctor prescribes you a pill or just because you're feeling a little pain doesn't mean you should run out and pop a pill. I don't know. Smoke weed. I don't know. I think that's bad. Listen, it's at least that's natural. Uh, you can't name all the ingredients that are in a uh, that are, that are in uh, Prozac, for example. You can't name all the ingredients that are in Lunesta. It doesn't just grow out there someplace. At least marijuana, it grows. It's just a it's a plant for God's sake. You take the leaves off it, you grind it up, and you smoke it. I mean, it's pretty simple. I mean, aspirin, okay, aspirin, uh, you know, it, it just, it exists. It grows. It, it is what it is. But beyond that, what's in Ambien? I don't know. I couldn't, I couldn't name uh, all the ingredients that are in that. And I'm not just talking about that for pharmaceuticals either, by the way. We take a lot of drugs. We take a lot of, uh, we eat a lot of food. We drink a lot of substances. You don't know what's in everything like that. I drink this Gatorade. I don't, well, actually this Gatorade, I do know what's in it because the ingredients are listed right here, actually. Vitamins, I know what's in a vitamin. Uh, inside a vitamin is a vitamin. Vitamin B contains, well, vitamin B. So I have no problem with people that pop vitamins. Although I think that people that do that even excessively, I think, you know, look, you don't need 20,000 milligrams of vitamin B every day. So. <laughs> See, I, I, I take those one-a-day vitamins. Yeah, those, that's fine. That's, that's good. That's all I do. I do that and Zyrtec for allergies and that's it. Good. And there may come a time where you need surgery or something happens and, and you have to go in and they give you medicine. Okay, you know, uh, listen, I get that. And I, I have no problem with that. But, I mean, we have kids. They get a little hyper. We shove Ritalin down their throat. Mike at KMGX.com. That's our email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com. Michael Groff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. It's uh, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-R-O-F-F -F Show. On AOL Instant Messenger, EFNet IRC, if you want to hang out and chat with us over uh, via that avenue, you can always do so. The, the channel is uh, Net Radio. Of course, access to all of that, including our, our chat channel and, and everything else, it's uh, available at the one, the only MichaelGraff.com. I don't know. Something, uh, something weird is brewing over here. I, I don't know. I was trying to queue up the, uh, the clothes. It wasn't working. But that was my fault because 
I pressed a button I shouldn't have. <laughs> oh, we all found out how that worked. <sighs> it's fine now. <laughs> all right. All other things Michael Graff related can be found at the one, the only Michael What a show. <laughs> See, aren't you, aren't you, aren't you glad you joined in? Yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Whatever. I don't know. I could have been doing anything else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Eh. Heh. Whatever. <laughs> That's generally the reaction yeah, I, I get. Very fun. Well, okay. I have to do it more. Um. Thanks. Uh, thanks to uh, Karina. She joined us on the show. People wondering where James is. I don't know. He's I, I, actually I talked to him just uh, yesterday. He's fine. He's very busy with school. Everybody's busy with school or something. I'm busy, you know, trying to find a a, a job. If, uh, if you need if you need a radio guy, if you need somebody to come in and uh, host a show for you, you know, I have many different skills. I, I can talk up any song to the post. I can uh, I can do any of that. I can work in any music for you. Give me any song, and I can talk it up to the post. I'm great at it. Uh, I can host a talk show for you. I can do your imaging. You know, if, if you're looking for a radio guy, uh, and I have lots of passion. Yeah! See? <laughs> well, you know where to find me. It's the zip code famous Michael Grav show. People are like, this guy's insane. <laughs> really, we, we could, I can talk about it here. Just pull, pull up a song. Here, this, is, this could be me on your station right now. You know, uh, Mix 97.3, best mix of the 80s, 90s, and today. It's the self-titled track from the phrase, How to Save a Life, Mix. See that? Who's, who's the pro here? That was good. Yeah, see, I can do that all day. <laughs> Whatever format. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think they're thinking you're the insane one. I think they're thinking the guy that managed to drive in and out of a store. With his car. Right, a guy. Listen, that guy probably had a job too because he must have because he had a truck. Can't get a truck without a job. He had a truck. This guy had a job. They won't. Somebody won't hire me. A guy has a truck and drives it into a store, backs it out, hits a car, drives it back into the store, hits the ATM, drives it back out, and hits a delivery truck. And he has a job, and you don't. I know. Life is really unfair, isn't it? You know. Actually, now that I think about it, that's really depressing. Thank you. <laughs> wow. All right. Yeah, if you need me for wow. you need me for your 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 hot AC station. See, that's that's how I do it. That's how I talk up these things. Here. Mix ninety six nine, best mix of the eighties, nineties, and today. Weather overnight tonight, mostly clear skies, low down to fifty five degrees tomorrow. Sunny, a little bit cooler, high of seventy seven. Right now, 71 with Sugar Ray every morning. Mix 96.9. Every morning there's a halo hanging from the corner of my girlfriend's four-post bed. Could come on, do right? char- character voice. Yeah, exactly. That's how, you, that's how you talk it up in this biz. I could give you facts about the, uh, about, about the people.
<laughs> we used to do that. Every once in a while, a listener would send in and they go, all right, Mike, I want you to make an informative, just talk up, uh, like they'd, get, they'd tell me like, you know, something with a long ass intro, like uh, Right Now by Van Halen, which is like 76 seconds. See, I even know the intro time for all these songs. <laughs> See? But I guess I'm not very passionate about radio. I would, how many people, if you ask anybody, how long is the intro of Van Halen right now? Not a single one of them could tell you that it's 76 seconds, but see, I can. People that lack passion in radio, they generally, they're like that. I'm not making an issue of it. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just pointing it out. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, it's fine. I'm, I'm going to let it rest, though. I'm not going to keep harping on that because, you know, I, I, I certainly don't want to be accused of, uh, well, I don't want to be uh, too passionate about my lack of passion. I'm just, I'm just saying. Yeah, I'm just saying, you know, listen, it's fine. All right. Uh, we'll see you uh, whenever. Uh, maybe tomorrow, maybe, maybe Tish above. Whenever we do the next podcast. Maybe it'll be the third Tuesday of February. <laughs> yeah, it's Tuesday next week. Yeah, have a uh, have a have a uh, great night, everybody. Thank you so much for checking us out. The Zip Code Famous Michael Grav Show. Good night, everybody. Good night.